The information on this podcast or any platform affiliated with Top Self LLC or the Top Self Podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition or treatment and before taking or performing any of the activities or suggestions discussed on this podcast. Welcome, Catherine Pittman. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I I love talking about the brain and how the different processes in the brain can be understood. So I'm I'm so excited to talk about jealousy in the brain. Oh, me too. I mentioned to you that I'm fascinated with the brain, always have been. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And you have some amazing books out there that relate to this and how they may help the listener of this podcast. So let's talk about them. Well, my book that's really taken off and has been translated into 14 languages, which is amazing, um, is Rewiring Your Anxious Brain. And that kind of gives the basics of how anxiety is produced in the brain. We're going to talk about that in more detail. But the one that probably if people are really wanting more of a workbook kind, I have a, a book called Taming Your Amygdala. And all these books you could find on Amazon. Taming Your Amygdala is more of a workbook to help. Once you understand how the amygdala operates, it really helps to know how you can take more control of it because it isn't, you can't talk to it. You can't reason with it. You have to know other approaches. And then if you have people here that are concerned about doubts they have and they feel like they need certainty and they really think and think about whether, you know, a partner's cheating on them or whether they can trust their partner or how they can tell if this is the right relationship or um, worry and constant worries. And it feels like they're in a loop and they spend lots of time on it. Then that could very well be an obsessing going on. And if you're talking about obsessional kind of jealousy, where it takes a lot of your time of your day, then the book that I wrote that probably most helpful is rewire your OCD brain because OCD is a special, you know, obsessing is a special kind of process in the brain. You really need to understand it to know how to combat. And and so it's not just the amygdala you need to worry about, but you really need to focus on the cortex in the brain. So, and we'll talk about these different parts of the brain, but those are, those are the books that I would say would be most relevant So one of the books you mentioned, Taming Your Amygdala, I wondered how jealousy is related to anxiety and the amygdala, because I feel like there's a connection there. So can you talk about that? Yes. Okay. So when we talk about the amygdala, this is a part of our brain that we are not aware of its functioning, but it's very influential. If we could say it's in the unconscious part of our brain and so much is, I mean, so much is in your unconscious part of your brain, you know, like you're keeping your balance, your brain is helping you digest food, you know, all kinds of processes are going on. The amygdala is among those things. And it's it's constantly monitoring your environment for things that are relevant, relevant in good ways and relevant in bad ways. So it notices when there's, you know, the smell of, of um, chocolate chip cookies move toward that. But it also notices if somebody's frowning at you and you think, uh-oh, avoid whatever is happening, avoid that person, avoid what you said, don't say that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really looking for things that are relevant in your environment that may pose a threat. It also, as I said, does focus on positive things, but no one comes to me complaining about the positives in their life. They come to me worrying about the threats. So the part of the amygdala we're worried about is really the part that focuses on threats and tries to protect us from them. Now, uh, the way it detects threats, and we'll go into more detail about this, but is by scanning your environment And it actually is listening and watching. And the way your brain is set up, this is kind of spooky in a way, your amygdala has access to information before you do. That's because the information coming from your eyes or your ears, before it even gets processed in your cortex, the amygdala gets to do a quick glance at it, a quick evaluation of it before it's completely processed. Mm 
Let's say you're in your shower and you see a little brown kind of thing that, you know, looks like it has maybe little hairy things sticking out from it or something. You're not sure what that is. What happens is your amygdala is going to see that before you process it completely in your cortex. And when the amygdala sees that, the amygdala doesn't get, it gets the raw information, the unprocessed information. But you know what? That little brown thing looks enough like a spider that the amygdala starts to react because you are in the shower with a spider. And so the amygdala will increase your heart rate. It'll make your muscles tense. It will produce a reaction in your body. Now, when it push, produces this reaction in your body, I want to say um, it involves all kinds of changes. And I want to really call it the fight or flight response is really what it's producing. Something that's going to help you get away from a danger. And so you prepare to fight or you prepare to flee. And you also can just freeze up. And those are the three things the amygdala really has the ability to put into action quickly. Now notice though, that in a just a fraction of a second more, the information is going to go, it takes a little time because it has to go from your eyeballs back to the back of your head, your occipital lobes where it's processed, right? I know you love the brain stuff, so I'm telling you this. What I uh, want you to know though, is when it gets back there to your cortex, your cortex can process things in more detail. So your cortex sees very clearly that that is a little wad of hair that is left there in the bathtub from the last time you showered. And it does not pose a threat to you. Now, immediately when your cortex gets that information, the amygdala has access to it too. Now, the way that that happens, it's I'm, I don't want to go into too much detail about the brain, but it's basically the amygdala monitors the cortex. It's like the amygdala watches cortex television, right? The amygdala is kind of seeing what's happening up there in the cortex. What are the thoughts going? What are people, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And there's that delay feature, right? So at first, the amygdala has been able to see something, identify it as a potential threat and react before you can even know what you saw. Because it lets you know you are not in complete control of your feelings. There is a part of you that creates your feelings before you are really online in the process. And that applies to jealousy too. That with an emotion to something you see, hear, smell, you know, anything sensory, um, and even thoughts of it. But you can react to those things before you are even able to be in control of thinking. Okay. I want to stop right there for a second because this is so important for jealousy sufferers to make this connection. And one thing I want to say and how I know this to be true is I have actually experienced this in my life before. So about 20 years ago, my son was very young. I was in a robbery leaving a gas station. There were people running down the sidewalk towards me. They were in all black, running down the sidewalk towards me as I was exiting the gas station. And it was the strangest thing because before I could even process what was going on, it was like, you know, as you were saying, my brain already knew that, hey, something's not right here. There is a thread. Something doesn't feel right. There's something wrong. And my body was already in motion doing things that I felt like I had no control over. Like my body had just taken over and I was trying to hurry up and get out of the door. And when we went back and looked at the video, because we went back to um, the gas station after it happened and we looked at the video with the store manager and you can see that I jerk my arm away from them twice. As they have a gun pushed against my forehead, I had jerked my arm away from them trying to continue out the door to get to my car. And so I know that that's the amygdala at work because there's no way consciously I would have ever done that. Like I would not have just made the decision to to fight back or to pull away. That was something that was completely out of my control. So you activated a flea response. And also, I bet you felt an emotion too. Yes. You don't have control over your amygdala. And your amygdala, if it detects a threat, it will create all these changes in your body that you have no control over. 
just in the way you don't have any control over what's happening exactly in your brain when information gets carried from your eyeballs to the back of your head. You don't do anything. You don't know what's happening, but it's happening. And so your blood pressure changes, your muscle tension changes. I mean, there's even changes in in um, insulin and blood sugar because your muscles are going to need blood. There's just so many things. And I don't need to go into all of it, but I just want you to know you're not in control of that. You can't control how there's an emotional reaction. But here's the thing. It's so important. Remember that story I told you about that little piece of hair in your in your shower and how you can react with terror to that. And you can even jump out of the bathtub before you really know what it is. And that may be helpful in some situations, but in many situations, this is key your amygdala is wrong, right? In other words, there's not a threat. Now, the situation you're talking about, there is a very real threat. And so jealousy can happen when you feel that there is some kind of threat in a relationship, when a person or a situation is causing a threat. And it doesn't have to be that there is a threat, it's just the amygdala just has to think that there is. And there's various ways that the amygdala determines whether something's a threat. One of the things is, and this is our amygdala is so useful to us because it learns things from our past and tries to protect us from those kind of dangers in the future. So if something has happened to you, like, for example, you've you've touched an oven, then when you come near to an oven and and you've once been burned by it, your amygdala sees ovens as dangerous, right? And it might see a, a oven that's dangerous whether or not it's hot, right? Same thing, it, it's very specific to if you are in a car and you're in an accident and you're in the passenger seat, then the amygdala will often, if you just get into the passenger seat of a car, it will produce a an emotional and a physical reaction where you become tense and you, um, your heart pounds and things happen and it's not you doing it and you can't control it. And you know what? When you get into the driver's seat, you might not experience that at all. You might be saying, I'm fine if I'm driving, if I'm, I'm holding the wheel, but I'm up in the passenger. And if you had the accident and you were in the pass, in the driver's seat, then you might be okay in the, in the passenger seat, but not in the driver's seat. The amygdala is basically learning this situation or it can be a sound or it could be a smell or it could be a sight. Right. So, for example, just take this, for example, let's say you had someone who cheated on you. And one thing that was part of that was texting with another lover or something. So what can happen is when you see someone you're dating now texting, you're all of your emotions become uncontrolled. And it's because your amygdala is saying danger, 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 danger. And it's not just saying it to you. But it's putting your body in a position, and this is what's so frustrating for us, it's putting our body in a position where we're ready to run, fight, or we just freeze up and we're like, I can't really think very well, which is part of that where, you know, rabbits who who stay very still in my backyard when my dog comes out to you to for his potty break, um, those rabbits are more likely to survive than rabbits who run away. Sometimes freezing is your better option, even in our lives now. Like if you feel like hitting your boss and instead you freeze up and you can't think, that's probably going to save your job, you know, as opposed to hitting your boss. So we have freezing, fighting, fleeing. And um, actually we were talking about that. I have a little, a little brief survey that you can even take to see, are you more of a fleer? Are you more of a freezer? Are you more of a fighter? Right. And so you just, you just need to kind of understand that this is all built into us from centuries, centuries ago. And it's designed to help us in a world we don't live in anymore. So understanding the way that it operates, here is the key thing. So many times people feel like because I'm having such a strong feeling, my fear must be correct. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Your amygdala can be completely wrong. And that's why it's good to know there is an amygdala. That's why it's good to know these feelings of threat come from my amygdala and that you shouldn't assume your amygdala is some kind of fortune teller and knows the future because it doesn't. What it's doing is it's trying to protect you from a danger. And it it just believes, you know, let's say you're walking down a path 
and there's a curvy brown thing in the path and you jump away from it because the amygdala says that looks like a snake. Well, maybe it's not a snake. Maybe it's a branch or a vine. But, you know, the amygdala's, the amygdala's approach is better to jump away from something that isn't dangerous than to fail to jump away from something that is. Caution. Yeah. So we're programmed to say, hey, we're just going to look at this as a threat until I know for sure that it's not a threat. And so that's why I always say that first thought that comes to your head, that first thing that that you want to say or think is usually wrong because it's like we're just going to consider this a threat and something we need to be concerned about. Hey, you, I just wanted to pop in and let you know the doors to the Trust Building Bootcamp are now open. Are you tired of feeling anxious and insecure in your relationship? Do you constantly worry that your partner's cheating or they're going to leave you even when there's no evidence of betrayal? Do you feel like, oh, I just can't trust even myself sometimes? Well, that was me. And if it sounds like you, it's time to stop second guessing. And I know some of the thoughts that you have, like, is this something that anyone would be upset about? Or am I just worried about it because of my jealousy? Well, mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 29th, because that's when our trust building boot camp begins. In our weekly one hour sessions, you'll learn how your brain is choosing unhealthy strategies to get your needs met and how to pull yourself out of those insecure habit loops. I lead every session live to give you guidance to learn to trust not only your partner, but yourself. Whether you're struggling with past traumas or simply want to strengthen the foundation of your relationship, this boot camp is for you. And believe it or not, we actually have fun. Don't let your fears hold you back from experiencing the love and security you deserve. Spaces are limited, so visit topself.com to sign up or simply click the link in the show notes to take your first step to a more trusting relationship. You won't regret it. See you there. What you're saying to, I want to be really clear, the amygdala doesn't produce thoughts so much as it produces feelings. And like you were saying, it's very bodily focused so that you felt changes in your body. You feel emotions. And if you were to say, what do you feel? You can translate it into a thought. Like you feel, I need to get the hell out of here or something is terribly wrong or something bad's about to happen or I'm going to. I'm furious and I need to hit this person or what, you know, there's, there's urges and, but you translate it into thoughts. And then, like I said, sometimes the thoughts you have are very wrong. Like, like, for example, just the thought there's a spider is a wrong interpretation. There's not a spider, but you're, you may react as if it's a spider before you have the correct information, but knowing your amygdala can be wrong and knowing that it can be wrong and you can feel terrible danger. And the feeling is very real. And that's something that confuses people. They'll say, how can you say I'm not having this feeling? You are having this feeling. You are. It's definitely a real feeling, right? But the problem is, the problem is that the feeling could be unnecessary or untrue, unneeded, you know, because it's all based in the fight or flight response. And, and it doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. And you mentioned some people are fight, some people are flight, and some people are freeze. And you have a wonderful survey called uh, the the Do You Flee survey. I will connect that in the show notes for people to figure out which which one they are to help have a little bit more information. But when we talk about the fight one, one of the things I hear all the time and I certainly experienced it myself, is that is, you know, in the moment, it was almost like I was a different person. I'd get so angry and the things that I said and things that I did were just so nasty and almost like, you know, I would never say those things normally and never say those things or do those things to anyone else but my partner. And so then you feel really guilty and bad about it. And it feels a bit 
you know, abusive to the person because you're just so nasty with them in the moment in that jealousy moment because of it. I assume then that's that fight piece that you're talking about. What's happened to you is your brain has been hijacked by the amygdala and we're designed for this to happen. It's not that you allow it to happen. It just happens. And here's what it is. It's probably saved your life in certain situations. Let me give an example. If you're driving down the road and something comes in front of your car, another vehicle or an animal or something, and suddenly you are in danger, that that person or other car is in danger. So what ends up happening, though, is remember, your amygdala sees the situation and process it just a fraction of a section second before you do. And so when you see that situation, you have already missed things the amygdala has already put into action, right? So often what we end up experiencing is something comes into your lane and you might hit the brake, you might actually hit the gas and turn the wheel fast and avoid something. Um, you may do something um, completely bizarre that you hadn't thought of, you know, like lean on your horn or whatever. And so what happens is something happens and very often it's a helpful something. And then if you think about this, you kind of have to go back in your head and say, what just happened and who did it? Because you did not do it. You did not tell yourself to do it. You were not rationally saying, go to the left here, hit the brake, you know, um, hit the horn. You know what you did? No, you acted so fast. So here's the thing. Your brain got hijacked, right? And it saved your life. Mm-hmm. And that you're cleaning your closet and all of a sudden you hear a weird noise above your head and you jump back, not knowing what it is. And all of a sudden a bowling ball falls on the ground. You know, you're like, oh, my God, thank God I jumped back. How did I know? You didn't know, honey. Your amygdala was like something's coming, you know, move. And so here's what you're saying. When you do these things and you say, I feel like I'm abusing this person. You want to say, you know. I understand this is a part of my brain, this emotional part of my brain that is designed to protect me. It just went into fight mode to protect me from a danger. And I, I, I can't control that. I'm so sorry. I, I look back at it. I know that isn't me. So how do you control it? You know, how do you control it? it and that's the thing. First of all, isn't it great to even know there's a part there doing something? Cause how would we even know, you know? Yes, because I think people feel like there's something really wrong with them when they experience that, when they experience the intensity of it. And so having an explanation and you're doing such a beautiful job of explaining it to us, then that means hopefully for people, they realize, okay, then I I can be aware of this and know that this is what's going on. You don't have control of in the moment at all. And actually, once it's kind of released in you and um, the amygdala causes feelings of dread, it causes panic attacks, it causes rage, it causes dissociation, like just freezing up and not being able to think. Um, And it causes someone to literally push and run out of a situation when other people are trying to hold them and explain this is okay. And so we do these things and we're not in control. It's the amygdala trying to save us from a bad situation. And knowing that can really help you understand what's going on. So first of all, you can be completely acting in error and it's not your fault because you're not relying on thinking processes. The amygdala has several ways that it detects a threat. So let's talk about some of those, okay? Mm -hmm. One way it detects a threat is on the basis of its past experience, which is your past experience. So if you have had um, experiences, say, where you had someone cheat on you and there was texting involved or where you had someone... Um, cheat on you and turning up late for a date was involved or the name of someone who someone cheated on you with can trigger you, right? Now, what this is, is the amygdala looks for any kind of cues that were, and it doesn't have to be cause and effect associated 
with it. It just goes with it. Like, for example, you you being in the passenger seat versus the driver's seat didn't probably, you know, relate to the accident. You can have an accident in either situation, right? But the amygdala pays attention to those little things. And it doesn't have to be exact. It can be something that sounds like it. For example, a friend of mine who was in the Gulf War, one time we were in a, a, a hotel room and all of a sudden she started talking about her war experiences. And it was really weird. Like I said, where does this all come from? And she was really kind of tense and talking about things. And I said, what, where did this come from? And she just stopped. And she said, do you hear that refrigerator sound? And I said, what? And I listened and there was kind of like a sound that was coming from the refrigerator, the little small refrigerator. And she said, that sounds like an air raid siren in in the Gulf War when you're far away from it. That's what it sounds like. And that just clicked her into tenseness. Memory started flooding back and she was aware of the memories, but you see, you might not be aware of the memories because, and you don't have to remember why is this triggering me? But what we, what the amygdala does is the amygdala creates triggers in our memory. It stores things that were associated and they don't have to be causally associated. Like a woman could have, let's say a woman was sexually assaulted during, you know, a a Beatles song. When that Beatles song plays, she goes into a panic attack. Now that Beatles song didn't have anything to do with what was happening to her. It does. It's not, it's just the association, right? It can be a phrase a person says, like, get over it. And boom, you are triggered because that is just put you back in an emotional state because someone used to say that to you, right? Um, Or it might be a song or it might be a a particular vehicle or um, going to a certain venue. It might be somebody that looks like someone. All of these things the amygdala relies on because let's say if our amygdala was designed to only be afraid of the certain dog or the certain wolf or the certain bear, you know, that hurt you or that's frightened you. Wouldn't it be better if it was afraid of all furry things of that size, whether it was exactly right. So it's designed to kind of generalize to something that's similar to something. So even though that, that, might not be a snake in the path. It kind of looks like a snake. It's the same thing. You know, you can have a partner who's not really acting like a snake, but there's something that reminds you of a snake. And so what we're talking about is it's not logical. And and so if somebody says to you, this is not logical, you want to say, my amygdala is not logical. You, I can be logical, but my amygdala is not logical. And this is what happens to me. I get triggered, you know, and trying to help yourself understand that. So one way that the amygdala reacts to things is on the basis of past experiences that form certain triggers that the amygdala stores in memory. And when that trigger is experienced, whether it's a song or a sound or a smell or, you know, whatever it is. One of my clients, when she sat in a circle of people, she got panicky and it didn't make any sense to her because it could be around the Thanksgiving table or at a shower for a good friend of hers. And it all went back to an experience in her second grade classroom, you know, where the kids were sitting in a circle. And it doesn't make sense unless you understand the language of the amygdala, which is a language of association, meaning that this was happening. This was present in a situation where something bad happened to me. And so now it's a trigger for me to feel I'm in danger. The thing we were saying is that the amygdala watches cortex television. You can be completely safe and the amygdala can be saying, I see nothing here to worry about. But then you start thinking. Then you start logically saying, does it make sense that he was late three times on Like, and it was always Thursdays. What is that? And then you start thinking that that could mean he's cheating. Well, guess what? I want to tell you something that's kind of sad again. Remember I told you the amygdala can be wrong? Your cortex can be wrong too. And we are kind of prone sometimes to jumping to conclusions and those kind of things. But also if the cortex is wrong, the amygdala has no way to detect that. 
the amygdala, here's the amygdala. The amygdala figures, if the cortex is thinking something, the amygdala better go with that. Because sometimes the cortex knows things that the amygdala doesn't know. But here's the thing. The amygdala is going to believe those thoughts. We have not found any place in the brain where the amygdala is given information like, this is just something I'm imagining versus this is something I'm actually seeing. So for example, you imagining your partner with someone else, the amygdala can react as if you're seeing your partner with someone else. Ah, that means your thoughts matter. And if you go on, you know, a little worry spree, you know, as I say, sometimes remember like the cortex television, I say, if you're on the worry channel and you're just generating all these thoughts about what could be happening, you have no evidence for this. You're scaring your amygdala. You are scaring your amygdala, you know? And so another way that the amygdala can get activated is by you thinking that someone's cheating, or you're thinking that this person doesn't love you, or you're thinking you're being played when actually it's not true at all, but your amygdala is relying on it. And once again, let me say, let me give you a little story I like to use. Like imagine um, if there's, there's a woman who her husband has gone on a fishing trip with his friends and he's, he's gone in Canada and she's home alone, but she, you know, she loves her husband. She wants him to have a good time, but this is not her idea of a fun time being alone for a week. So during this time she's alone, she hears a sound while she's alone in her house. And it's a sound that actually is a very familiar sound. Do you know what the sound is? It's a sound of the door from the garage into the kitchen opening up. And the amygdala has heard this sound over and over and over. This does not make the amygdala react in any way because it's a familiar sound. Someone coming from the garage into the house. You know, she hears her husband do that a lot. Visitors like her kids or whatever, they come in. And so she's not, she's not going to have a reaction rise in her amygdala. But when she hears that sound, just a fraction of a second later, remember, her amygdala has processed it, but it gets to this place in her cortex, in the temporal lobe, where where the cortex says that sound is the door from the garage opening. And who would be coming in? Frank is, you know, thousands of miles away. No one should be coming in the garage right now. And the minute she thinks that thought and starts to think who could be in the house, and she maybe comes up with even an image of a burglar, an image of someone with a knife, you know, an image of someone who's coming to rob her and thinks, you know, because Frank's car is gone, that the house is empty. She has all these thoughts. Well, once she has these thoughts, what's the amygdala going to do? The amygdala is going to say, oh, my God, this is terrible. There's this person in the house and it's going to react to those thoughts. And so she might run out the front door in a panic, her heart pounding, completely tense, off feeling nauseous, maybe a terrible experience, just a panic runs out the front door. Now, I'm just asking you. Is that good for her or is that bad for her? That could be very good, right? So the amygdala is once again probably playing its cards right to say if the cortex, on the basis of its logic and its information, which is greater than mine, says there's a danger, I'm going to react as though there's a danger. But the problem is, you know, if that woman is in bed at night and she hears a scratching on her screen window, and she thinks to herself, that is a robber with an X-Acto knife and he's cutting the screen. He's going to climb in and assault me. That is probably not what she's hearing, you know, but the amygdala is going to react as if it is. And she's going to panic and she might end up calling the police over something like that. And the police might say, lady, there's a branch that's scratching your window. You know, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. But you know what? She still is going to feel all those same feelings. And we're wired this way. So here, going back to jealousy, you may not have a reason for jealousy, or you may have a reason for jealousy. And as you're thinking about it, and as you're on the jealousy channel, and you're thinking about this stuff, you can activate your amygdala. So you may end up with an amygdala that's completely furious and ready to just pummel someone. You may end up with an amygdala that wants you to run the hell away from the situation. And you may just be completely locked up and not know what to do because you're freezing. But you do have 
the wiring in your brain that you can be completely safe. And on the basis of your imagination and those out there who are creative, imaginative people, you're so good at this. You can just come up with it. And then you can use your logic to think about it and argue yourself when you have a doubt. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making this up. Then you can even say, now, wait a minute. And you can find patterns that may not even exist. You know, you're, you can come up with all kinds of ideas. I think this one is so key for people who experience this extreme and intense jealousy where it's something that's affecting them on a daily basis. And a lot of that saying be careful what you think, is because of this, right? If I start imagining that my partner is having lunch with someone, I'm starting that jealousy channel, as you say, and headed down that path. You know, who's there at lunch? Did they ride together? I bet he's having lunch with that female, or I bet she's having lunch with that guy. And you can start that train and have those exact same feelings as you talked about, Like the cortex is giving the amygdala incorrect information, but we're still feeling it as if it's actually happening. This is good to know because you have more control of your cortex. I'm not saying it's easy, like you just click your fingers and, oh, I'm going to stop thinking about that. But you do have control over your thoughts in a way that you do not have control over the amygdala. So if you can keep your amygdala from being activated, by being on the jealousy channel, by thinking about things, by allowing yourself to just imagine and worry. And, you know, you can really say to yourself, don't scare your amygdala. Because, well, people argue with me, they'll say, but it could be happening. I don't know for sure. And I said, you don't know for sure either way. Well, here's what I want to say. Do you want to go through all the emotions you're putting yourself through? Because you're the one that's starting this, you know, because what starts in the cortex doesn't stay in the cortex. Now you got the amygdala involved and it's miserable. You're suffering. And I find that people will respond to when they understand I'm, I'm affecting the amygdala. I understand. And I'm making myself miserable. I'm making myself furious. I'm getting, I'm starting to lose control, but it all started with me thinking. Now that's different when something triggers you, like something the person said, or you suddenly, like you just see, maybe you see um, something like your, your partner touched somebody in a certain way, like putting his hand on someone's back or something like that. And this triggers you. That is more starting in the amygdala. So one of the things about rewire your anxious brain is I kind of say, is your problem, and it's both. It's not like, oh, my, it might always starts in the amygdala, you know? No, um, everybody has sometimes that the problem starts in the cortex and sometimes it starts in the, in the amygdala. And so you need to know to order to address it, you need to know, am I trying to deal with my amygdala here? Or am I trying to deal with my cortex? Cortex is easier because you can say, and remember, I didn't say easy. I said easier. That's just because the amygdala is so hard. (laughs) The cortex, you can say, I need to think about something else. And I'm going to tell you a little trick here just to save you a lot of trouble. If you say, stop thinking he's interested in her. Stop thinking. That is not stopping thinking he's interested in her. That is staying on that channel. You know, you have to change the channel. You can't turn off your cortex. You have to put it on a different channel. So what you have to do is say, what, what's my grocery list? I need to start focusing on what I need from the store. Or you have to say, I'm going to call a friend and you're not going to talk about this. You're going to talk about What's happening in your life? You know, has your little boy started walking yet and getting on a different channel? And that works in your brain. You can, If I tell you to stop thinking about pink elephants, you are going to think about pink elephants for the first time today and maybe this week and maybe this month because I told you not to think about pink elephants. You got the image of a pink elephant. Same thing if you tell yourself, don't think about what he's doing at lunch. Don't think about that. No, you have to say what you're going to think about and you need to throw yourself into that. And all that does is keep you off the jealousy channel so that you don't get your amygdala wound. And remember, you are not getting your amygdala wound up, not for him or her or whatever. You are not getting it because you don't want to deal with that. 
You're like, I don't want to activate that. It's a mess. But there's sometimes when your amygdala starts on its own, when it is triggered by a memory and it's irrational, and that is part of us too. So important what you're saying, because this is where that decision piece comes in, right? We talk about our amygdala is triggered, our body is already responding, and we're doing things that we don't want to do. We're feeling things that we don't want to feel. We can't control that. But then we hit the cortex, and this is where the decision comes in to either continue down that path, and I'm going to keep thinking about it, and I'm going to think additional thoughts about it, and I'm going to play out these images in my head, or I'm going to decide to change the channel. I'm going to go for a run, or I'm going to work on something that I want to accomplish, or I am going to call that girlfriend. What we often do, though, then is talk about our experience, and we're telling them a story and trying to get them on board with us. So then we just get right back on that jealousy channel, as you say. So changing the channel, that's important, like not muting it a little bit, not turning it down, 100% changing the channel and doing something else, talking about something else, getting your mind completely off of what your thoughts were. Images too. That'll really get the amygdala going. Yes. I'll tell you a separate layer here. If a person says, but I can't be sure and I need certainty, I need 100% certainty and I can't let go, then that's more, we get into some OCD related things and where a person is saying, I need to be 100% confident because the truth is we can never be 100% confident that nothing bad is going to go wrong in a relationship. Now, sometimes you have to sort out the risks you're taking. And sometimes there are risks. And sometimes you're completely, this is a person that you really should not be doubting, but you are. And I can't tell from a certain situation we're thinking of for sure. But one thing, you know, if the person is not trusting a trustworthy person, or if the person has a good indication that this person is not trustworthy, um, And that's something where what I'm talking about is when even when there's a part of you that knows you should be able to trust this person and you know that it's the doubts you have. And sometimes they're more about past experiences or sometimes they're more about you needing certainty. Like I can't tolerate uncertainty. I need to know my plans. I need to know. And you'll see it in other parts of your life sometimes. So that's when it's gone beyond just jealousy and we have obsessive jealousy that's really part of OCD, the romantic OCD, you know, relationship OCD. And that is a struggle. But I want to tell you that's a cortex problem and it's easier to deal with than say people who've been through trauma Mm -hmm. because when you've been through trauma and your amygdala is reacting as if you're not safe, we have to teach the amygdala that it is safe. And that's a process. That's a process of being in scary situations and learning. It all worked out. It's okay. Um, And the amygdala can learn, but it involves taking some risks sometimes, being in a relationship or letting things happen and saying, you know, I told him I didn't want him to go to any more lunches. And I realized that's going to hurt his career chances. So I have to I have to let him go to these lunches. And sometimes you you need to put yourself through situations, like being in a situation where there's an ex there and trying to handle that situation and realizing these two people are not going to get back together. That's, that is my amygdala being triggered. It's from another situation, not this relationship. Mm-hmm. So it really... Because we have these two channels to jealousy, the two pathways, I should say, to jealousy, we have the amygdala pathway that's based on triggers and that's based on directly experiencing something that makes the amygdala say danger, danger, danger. And then we have the other pathway that the amygdala is sitting there chilling out. Everything's going all right. And then the cortex says, what if this? What if that? This could be the situation. And the amygdala is like, 
oh no, you know, and then you got the amygdala triggered where it was willing to just look around and go, everything looks cool. Everything's good. You know, you scared your amygdala. And so knowing these different pathways, now notice that we're talking about giving you control over your jealous feelings and your jealous thoughts. And it's not a simple process, but you do have the ability once you know the operating pieces and people will say they can't believe how stupid their amygdala is sometimes when they really think about it. They're like, my amygdala reacts to this. And I I rationally, in another part of my brain, I know this, he is never going to get back with her, you know? I should not be upset that he's in this wedding and they're not even walking down the aisle together, you know, but just the fact that she's in the wedding, he's in the wedding. And I'm like, ah, this is really upsetting me. You know, I have to recognize where that comes from and work with myself. And if you know the operating pieces that, that create these emotions, how they work, you are, you are armed to take on the situation. But you know, the the vast majority of people don't even know they have an amygdala. Yeah, they're not understanding the two different parts no. that you have so beautifully explained today. I think that is definitely going to help people that are suffering with mm-hmm. jealousy to even just the beginning of starting to separate these two mm-hmm. things of did, did is this was this a trigger for me Mm -hmm. from something Mm -hmm. that from my past, right? or did I just create this? And I think that's where, as you know, as I said, where the the confusion sometimes comes in where people are like, well, I don't understand because I have such strong feelings and I can't tell if, if this is right or if this is wrong. I think just understanding the two things that may be going on. Right. And understanding that you can have a feeling that you are in complete danger at the same time you are perfectly safe. That it's a feeling and it's not a prediction that the relationship is going to go down in flames. You know, it's, it's a feeling. So there's another thing I want to do. And that this is the thing that a lot of people just, they don't get it at all. They're like, okay. But if you know how important your amygdala is in this process, one thing you want to know are, are there ways I can calm my amygdala down? Are there ways it can be calmed down? And I want to tell you, nothing I've said today, nothing you can say to your amygdala affects the amygdala. You cannot logically discuss it. You cannot reason with your amygdala. You can't, no, none of that, right? So here here are some things that you're going to, you say, but how do I talk to the amygdala, right? Well, one of the ways that you can do now, and this is the thing that people often don't get, the amygdala calms down by having the experience in your body of calmness. If you calm your body down with deep, slow breathing, if you relax your muscles in your jaw, in your arms, in your legs, you're just relaxed, you know, if you relax. This sends a message to the amygdala better than you saying, calm down, calm down. Everything's all right. He's never going to cheat on me. That does nothing with the amygdala. And this is the thing that I've been taught to teach relaxation skills to people for 30 years. But until we had fMRI scans that actually I could tell people when you are in one of those fMRI scans and we show you scary pictures that usually activate the amygdala and we ask you to do this kind of breathing, this deep, slow breathing, five breaths a minute where you're in and out is one breath. So really long inhales, really long exhale. And the exhale seems to be more important. That is a way that we can, if you're lying in in, um, fMRI, in an fMRI machine, we can see the amygdala calm down. Isn't that crazy? Mm. And people are like, breathing? Seriously, come on. But you know what? This is language of the amygdala understands. You need to speak the language of the amygdala. You know what else it understands? You know how it likes you to fight or flee? You know what you can do sometimes? You can flee. You can go for a run and come back and your amygdala is like, yeah, problem solved. You're like, no, (laughs) I didn't solve it. Mm -hmm. But it turns it off, you know, exercise. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing just to tell you, if you get into a regular exercise program, 
it just takes your amygdala down a notch and calms your amygdala down. And it doesn't make any sense because nothing could have changed in your relationship whatsoever. And yet you feel calmer, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so exercise calms your amygdala and it, it results in a calmer amygdala. And here's the thing you may notice that you, you can see a pattern in your rages or your reactions, your panics, if you notice that they happen when you've been sleep deprived, because it's another thing that messes with the amygdala. The amygdala needs lots of REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, which comes late in the evening in your late sleep cycles, mostly. So if you don't get seven, eight hours of sleep, you get less REM. And you often have a kind of hyperreactive amygdala where you're tense and irritable and that kind of, um, you snap at people and, and you'll say to yourself, I didn't get enough sleep. I know I'm just really irritable. Uh, amygdala people, amygdala. And if you, I've had people who say, I never thought the sleep was important until you told me. And then I started making sure I get enough sleep and I'm amazed how much a better temper I have. I didn't know it was my amygdala. You know, I didn't know. So exercise and sleep and deep, slow breathing. And also if you are doing, say, if you're getting on a good sleep schedule where you get seven or eight hours of sleep, because that, those last, that last hour sleep, getting to that eighth hour gives you a whole new band, a whole new period of REM sleep. And the amygdala does well with that. Whereas if you get shorter than that, the amygdala can be, if we put someone in an fMRI machine and we say, stay up all night and come lay down in our machine. And then we say, make sure you get a good night's sleep. And we, their their amygdalas look completely different because of their sleep. Well, I think we hear all the time. We know know. sleep, exercise, breathing techniques. Even though it affected jealousy or rage. Yeah, we know it's important, but- to know here's what it does and here's why. It affects a part of your brain that is very hard to control. And the other thing is that deep breathing and getting good sleep often doesn't really cost monetarily much exercise. Just going for a brisk walk. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here. You have shared many, many good things And I know that we are going to work together in the future and do more work here. So thank you so much for your time and wonderful expertise. Catherine Pittman, thank you. It was wonderful talking with you.